Welcome to another episode of the Real Life Theology Podcast by Renew.org. Last week, we wrapped up the breakout sessions from our national gathering, and to round out the season, we're going to turn to one of our associate directors from the Renew.org learning community for a series of talks he did about loving others well. The Renew.org learning community is made up of senior church leaders, senior pastors, and senior ministers, and has almost 300 churches represented. If you're in one of those roles mentioned, or you know someone who is, we'd love to discuss the opportunity for equipping in the Renew.org learning community. Reach out to us at info at renew.org. That's I-N-F-O at renew.org. Okay, now on to hear our very own Reese Neeland unpack how Christians are called to love and serve others. Reese is going to draw on key examples in Jesus's ministry, as well as his own testimony to show how Christians who trust and follow Jesus are called to care for others. Let's listen now. So my favorite television commercials these days are the uh, the ones by AT&T Wireless. Just okay is not okay. Do you know those? I love those commercials. Maybe you have your favorite. There's a series of them. There's the, the surgeon, of course. And uh, that one's pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, the tattoo artist. Right? Stay in your lane, bro. But my favorite is the mechanic. So if you know the mechanic, that's where the guy goes in the shop and he needs his brakes fixed. And he's, he's new there. He's talking to the mechanic. He says, so uh, how are you guys with brakes? I need my brakes fixed. And he goes, oh, we're okay. <laughs> and, you know, he's taken aback by that. You're just okay? He goes, oh, well, we, we have a saying around here. If the brakes don't stop the car, something will. <laughs> and... Uh, he says, that's not really a saying. He goes, yes, it is. I made it up. <laughs> so anyway, I think we understand that if something is important, if something matters, then just okay is not okay. We get that. One of the reasons that I'm a part of this church is that I went down to, uh, I was going to graduate school in Gainesville, Florida, eons ago. And I uh, came to the Crossroads Church of Christ, and I heard the gospel preached, and I heard Jesus preached, and I heard a call to Jesus to be followed. And I understood there that just okay is not okay. That's the reason I'm here in this fellowship today, because just okay is not okay. And if you know anything about Jesus, Jesus was a just okay is not okay, preacher. And uh, I would aspire to be like Jesus myself. Look over in Luke chapter 10. We talk about something that matters to Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, you have the parable of the Good Samaritan. I would say that probably the parable of the Good Samaritan along with the, uh, the parable of the lost son, are probably the two most well-known parables that Jesus told. But it's important that we go back and get the context and understand what led up to the telling of that parable. And let me just say that I know there are many in this audience who love the Bible and, and have been perhaps reading and studying the Bible for decades. As we read this story that you may have read many times, I want you to try to imagine that it's the first time you're reading it. And I want you to try to be open to the fact that you might learn 
or you might see something in this that you've never seen before. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, the ministry of Jesus, it says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And if you don't know, the expert in the law was a Jewish religious leader who his whole life revolved around studying the Old Testament. And so he was known to be an authority. And so Jesus had come onto the scene. And I can't help but think that because of the way that Jesus preached and because just okay is not okay, there were a lot of people that started feeling a little less secure about their eternal destiny. And so this was not a question that Jesus only got one time. But it was also a question that sort of the, uh, the scholars, the academics in the Jewish faith like to discuss. What does it mean? Or what is the most important command? Or how would you have eternal life? So Jesus is uh, being tested, it says, by this man. And he asked Jesus that question. And as Jesus would do so often, he answered the question with a question. He said, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered the man, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. You know, before Jesus came, if you didn't know this, the Jews had a very pat and clear answer to the question, what must you do to eternal life? And they would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus added the second part. Love your neighbor as yourself was in the Old Testament, but it had not been highlighted in the same way. But Jesus came on and he added that. And obviously this guy had been listening to Jesus' sermons online. And Jesus says, you gave the right answer. It's not just love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. It's also love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes on and said, do this and you will live. This is not really the point of the sermon, but as a preacher, I feel like I just have to say, the Christian faith is not a thinking religion only. The Christian faith is not just a merely believing religion religion only or faith only it is a doing thing and so Jesus says that and then the man goes on and he says this is where it starts to get really interesting but he wanted to justify himself so he asked Jesus and who is my neighbor have you ever asked a question that you later on wished you had never asked <laughs> Have you ever said something that no sooner were the words out of your mouth and you go, I really wish I hadn't said that? If this guy did not get that feeling immediately, very soon he got that feeling and understood that emotion. So Jesus goes on, and so Jesus is going to tear a parable, and he's going to illustrate the question here, of course, the guy asks is, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus says, well, let me tell you a little story that will help you to understand. 
And uh, you may be familiar with the parables of Jesus. The parables of Jesus, just the parables of Jesus convince me that he is the son of God. Because the wisdom that in just a short story, a very short story, in, in so few words, really, he could make truth so powerfully illuminated. Uh, I don't know about you, but I cannot tell a story that short or that well. And so Jesus has this parable, and if you know anything about the parables, short stories of Jesus, his parables, he, they, there's something that's a pretty much of a common thread, is there's always a shock value. There's something in that parable where you go, I did not see that coming. And so that's part of the power of it, right? Well, this one has several instances of shock value. In fact, it uh, has a few tremors, but then there's an earthquake at the end. Just spoiler alert. Getting you ready. So let's read it here. Remember, even if you've read it before, I want you to imagine, try to put yourself in the story and perhaps even reading it as if it were the very first time. Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, that's not the shocking part of this story because that was actually a common occurrence in those days, right? You may know that, the road from... Jerusalem to Jericho, it was a 16 or 17 mile journey, twisting road, coming down the mountain. It was well known as a place where people could be waylaid and robbed and beaten and left half dead as this man was. Here's where it gets more interesting. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him and he went to him. We'll stop there. So you may understand that the priests and the Levites were the upper echelon of the Jewish religious leaders of that time and of the faith. And they also might understand the Samaritans were people who were once Jews generations ago, but they had left the faith. And they were off in a different, they were practicing their faith in a very different way. And there was a lot, there was no love lost between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so this is the first thing, the first tremor in this story, is that as Jesus illustrates what it means to love your neighbor, he says, he points out in a way that had to be very challenging to the man who asked, was asking Jesus questions. He was saying basically, your kind, your kind are the ones who walk on the other side of the road, and that even a Samaritan would be more likely to stop and care about somebody who was in need than you would. It would have been impossible for that man not to have understood the personal implications of that. And I would just say to help us to understand, and I'm preaching to myself here today, is that if Jesus were to tell this parable today, instead of being the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, it might have been the elder, the evangelist, and the Muslim. Yeah. 
Because you know, the truth is, sometimes people that aren't Christians act more like Christians than people who are Christians. And you know that's true. Jesus, one thing you have to like about Jesus, he, he, he you know, I, I, Jesus, the gospel is good news. But you know, there were times when he was just all about it. I mean, he was just all business. This is business time right here. Right? That was a shock. Ever walked on the other side of the road? I have. There are many times that I have stepped around, stepped away, stepped back, stepped over somebody in need. But you know what Jesus wants us to do? He wants us to step to. He wants us to step in. He wants us to step up for people who are poor and in need. That leads to the next part of this illustration. Let's go ahead and read it. Verse 34, he went to him, the Samaritan, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out his silver coin, two silver coins, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. Maybe it's obvious to you, but I want to make sure that you understand the tremor here. Because the original question was, well, who is my neighbor? And so by implication is, what does that mean to love your neighbor? And I want you to see, and I don't know how I missed it, but it wasn't so obvious to me, and I missed it for many, many years, that Jesus decides to describe how to love your neighbor as yourself by describing a situation where a total stranger you reached out to and you invest time and you invest energy and you invest money. That's how you love your neighbor. Somebody who's poor and in need. And you know what? I don't believe this is the only way that you love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't think Jesus meant that it was the only way that you love your neighbor as yourself. But it is significant, is it not? That Jesus chose to illustrate the point with a story of a man who loved somebody and cared about somebody who was in need. I wonder if we missed something obvious about the ministry of Jesus. You know, I will uh, confess, I've preached many sermons on the parable of the Good Samaritan. In all the sermons that I ever preached up until this one, I always described, we, we talked to the point about loving your neighbors yourself, and then I would make it really broad and talk about all the ways that you could love your neighbors yourself, and that wasn't necessarily wrong. You love your neighbor when you share your faith. You love your neighbor when you go over and pray with them, and they're having a difficult time. And, you know, you love your neighbor when you... Fill in the blank. But it's so obvious. Should be, isn't it? About a year ago, 
I decided to step back and read the Gospels. Do you know what the Gospels are? Some of you do. There are four accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And even though I've been many years preaching and many years following Jesus, I decided to step back and say, I'm just going to read these things as if I was reading for the first time. And you know, I learned some things from doing that. If you haven't done that late, you should do it yourself. You know what I found? When you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are three things primarily that Jesus did. Jesus preached the Word. He preached the good news. He preached the Gospel. Number two, Jesus focused on a few. And He handpicked people and He invested in them and He trained them. And we sometimes in this church call that discipling. And He really helped to raise them up to be what they should be. He trained and worked with a few. But the third thing Jesus did overwhelmingly was to serve the poor and the needy. Now, when you look at your life and you decide what are the three things that you're doing for Jesus, where does that all fall out for you? Good question, isn't it? When I read the Gospels again, here's a little trivia for you. You know how many chapters there are total in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I'm not going to wait for you to try to figure that out. (laughs) Turns out there's 89. Of the 89 chapters in the Gospels, 43 of them specifically describe Jesus doing the ministry to the poor and the needy. 43 out of 89. And many of those chapters... The whole chapter is about things that Jesus was doing. Poor and the poor and the needy. Did you know that when you read the parables of Jesus, there's three parables where he says, if you are not active in serving the poor and the needy, you will not make it to heaven. You know where they are? Parable of the rich man and Lazarus, parable of the good Samaritan, parable of the sheep and the goats. Yet in all my years of preaching, and this is, this is embarrassing, I have only begun to start figuring this out about the ministry of Jesus just in the last few years. People who know me are not surprised because I am proven to be slow to learn. <laughs> By the way, you know, my, my dad just uh, moved in as a part of the church here. And uh, you know what my dad will tell you? That boy was slow to learn. <laughs> my brother Blake is here. You may have met him. By the way, today is his 60th birthday. Truth be told, he has always been slow to learn as well. And <laughs> we were just happy he made it to 60. <clears throat> but here's the thing I, I've been slow to learn. I mean, until it's sort of, 
even began this journey in about eight years ago, but in all the years before that, my ministry, personal ministry to the poor and needy was I gave about $50 a year to Hope Worldwide. $50 a year, you heard me right, to our Hope Worldwide, our international charity that we support in our church. And I served one day a year on Martin Luther King Jr. Day in L.A. We would have what we called a Hope Day on, and we'd do something in the community. That describes what I did for the poor and needy for many years. But then the Holy Spirit started moving. And maybe he's going to start moving in your life today. He waited a long time to start on this one with me, this part. But about eight years ago, Doug Arthur tapped me on the shoulder and he said, Hey, why don't you direct, organize and direct this uh, Hoops for Hope program in Los Angeles, raising money for poor people in Cambodia. I didn't want to do that but it didn't seem like I should say no. <laughs> Have you ever been in that position? <clears throat> it's like, well, is this a high-paying job? Because <laughs> I already have a job. No, there's no pay to this job. And six years ago, Greg Moretzky tapped me on the shoulder. And by the way, that's what the, how the Holy Spirit works a lot of times. We need to be shoulder tappers. That's why we have a community. That's why we have a fellowship. We got to help each other. None of us are going to get where we need to be by ourselves. I certainly wouldn't have. Greg Morutsky tapped me on the shoulder and says, I would like you to serve. I've been on the board of directors of Hope Worldwide. I would like you to, to sign up to be on the board of directors of Hope Worldwide. I didn't want to be on the director, uh, director of Hope Worldwide, but it didn't seem like I should say no. Then there's a brother in our uh, congregation back in L.A. where I've been. By the way, Jim, I'm... I'm still in L.A. for a little while longer. But uh, Bob and Barb would know this guy. His name is Marlon Shows. And Marlon is just one of those brothers in the fellowship that has just been an irritatingly, annoyingly champion for the poor. <laughs> I mean, he's one of those guys you see him coming and you want to walk away, you know, because you know. And so Marlon, Marlon and I are friends. So Marlon said, hey, you know, there's a group of us that are serving, you know, once a month, Saturday morning, we're, we're, we're making a meal and serving breakfast for the, you know, the, in the, at the homeless shelter. He said, why don't you come and join us? You know what I thought? I don't really want to go do that <laughs> on Saturday morning. But it didn't seem like I should say no. So I do that. So then later Marlon comes to me and he's very involved with you have this uh, Union Station Homeless Services in, in Pasadena where I live. And it's a great program because what they're trying to do is they're trying to get people off the streets and they're trying to train them and get them, uh, you know, to, to restart their life in a, a more traditional way. And so uh, Marlon comes to me and goes, well, hey, Reese, you know, I've signed up to be a mentor for people who are transitioning out of homelessness. He says, why don't you come and do that with me? And you know what I thought? And you know what I said? So I've been doing that for a couple of years. But what really got me was, uh, I believe Alex was there. Alex Hunter also serves on the board with me, but Steve Kennard came, Dr. Steve Kennard, and these names I'm mentioning may or may not mean anything to you, but Steve came and he uh, did a 
devotional for the board of directors at one of our meetings, and he just wrote a book, Jesus and the Poor, and it's a great book. If you haven't read it, I would recommend it, but he did this devotional, and he's just talking and talking and talking, and he goes, and in a lot of our churches, we have evangelists who never preach about Jesus and, and the poor, and you know, and I, you know, one of the people in the, was there, so I, yeah, I've been in my, the church I've been in for 30 years. I've never even heard one sermon, one complete sermon on the ministry of Jesus, the poor and needy. And I'm sitting there, and I'm one of the two ministry people in the room, paid ministry. And it was a tough moment. I was brought to tears. And I had a chance to share, and I go, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And I certainly mentioned the ministry of Jesus the poor. I have never, I cannot remember one full sermon that I ever preached about the ministry of Jesus the poor and needy. But I made a commitment that day. I'm going to change that. So last year I did eight sermons on <laughs> the ministry of Jesus the poor and needy. Sometimes you just got to try to make up for lost time. But that's embarrassing to share, honestly. Because it seemed like, but I just say again here, just okay is not okay. When it comes to the ministry of Jesus to the poor and needy, just okay is not okay. Do you look and see what this man did in the story? Total stranger, walks up, beaten, bloody, half dead, Physically, I'm trying to imagine this. One grown man trying to lift another grown man up, sweaty, bruised, bloody, put him on his donkey. I don't know if he had an extra donkey with him, but if he didn't, that means he walked the rest of the way down the road, took the man to the inn, paid for both of them to spend the night, evidently, I would assume. You know how I assume that? Because the guy was robbed, he had nothing. Then he got up the next morning and said, I'm going to leave you to the Nerai, to the Nerai, which are a, com a skilled laborer's wage for one day. Now, putting that in today's terms, a little better than minimum wage, but a skilled laborer, I'm going to say that's about $12.50 an hour, about $100 a day. He said, so he left him, we'll call it, $200. and said, take care of this man, and when I come back, I'll pay you whatever else you need. There's a tremor, isn't there? There's a shock value. Does that sound like something you would do? Would you stop on the side of the road with somebody who's a total stranger and invest yourself like that physically and invest your time like that? and invest your money like that? Would you give $200 more to somebody who is poor and in need? Can you imagine yourself doing that? I have to mention I'm very proud of uh, my brother Blake for the last two years. Some of you may know this. He's raised about $3,000 by he spent a night on the street, sleeping on the streets, with only a, a blanket in Atlanta to raise money to support young people that are homeless 
on the streets of Atlanta. Does this sound like anything you would do? Here's the earthquake. Let me read the rest of the story. Which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who, t- who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Here's the earthquake. Jesus said, go and do likewise. See, a lot of times when Jesus told parables, and you know it's true, there was exaggeration and there was hyperbole and there was extreme examples that were mean just to illustrate a point. But in this situation, Jesus tells about this man. He tells about what he does. And he makes a clear point at the end that this is not something that you should think about or imagine. You should go and do likewise. And if you cannot see yourself, if I cannot see myself doing something like this, I have to ask myself a very important question. Am I following Jesus? That's the question I've had to ask myself. Listen, I'm not looking down on anybody. I, as a preacher of God's word, I feel like I have been a huge part of the problem. If, there's not, if we have not yet restored the ministry of Jesus in our churches, in our fellowship of churches, I have been a huge part of the problem, only by the grace of God and shoulder tapping. Have I got to the journey where I'm at today? And who knows where I need to go next? Some of you may not know, I recently, well, last Saturday was my last day in the full-time paid ministry. And uh, I am now actually working for Hope Worldwide. I'm an interim leader with Hope Worldwide. And so, uh, quit one job on Saturday, picked up a new one on Sunday. So, I don't know how long that's going to last, but you know, I love what Hope Worldwide does. This is not a commercial for Hope Worldwide. It's not, I, I couldn't find Hope Worldwide in this parable. I wanted to. <laughs> but I did find the ministry of Jesus to the poor and needy. And you don't have to give to Hope Worldwide. I love Hope Worldwide. I believe in our mission. I believe in what we're doing. I believe it's a great organization. I believe it's an organization that's going to get better. And I'm going to try to be a part of that. But when you get to the pearly gates, Peter may not ask you how much money you gave and what did you do for Hope Worldwide. But Jesus is going to want to know, what did you do for the poor and those in need? Just okay is not okay. Thank you.